Acts 2. So one thing we know about in Sweetwater is wind, right? And we know a little bit about wind. And so the title of this sermon is Rushing Wind. The Spirit of God often compared to uh, rushing wind. And here in this, uh, this Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God uh, is poured out on the church and, and there's the sound of this rushing mighty wind. Um, man, we get some wind here. And uh, last week we had friends visiting, uh, Justin and Heather. They shared a campfire story here with us. And, uh, you know, we, they've got four kids. We've got four kids. We had eight kids, uh, you know, packed in the house. And so on Saturday, we thought it'd be a good idea to get out of the house. You know, we went down to the park and took the dog. And, and, uh, and we're playing around down there. And we've got this gigantic kite. Uh, and it's a big octopus with tentacles and all that. And, and so... Wind was blowing like 50 miles an hour or 90, I'm not sure which, but we thought, well, that'd be a good idea to fly this gigantic kite. And man, we got that kite in the air, and it was a beautiful thing. It was like a big spaceship about to just gobble up Sweetwater, and people were stopping and looking, and, and, and we get it up there, and, and it's flying, and it's going, and, um, and then it's gone. You know, and I mean, the, you just loosen the grip a little bit on the, on the uh, spool there, um, and, uh, and, and then... It just took off, and that wind was so strong. And we're chasing Sonda and Justin and I and the kids. We're chasing uh, that kite, and the spool is just flopping and flopping and blowing. It's just going. It's unspooling as it's blowing. And I'm dying laughing as we're chasing it. It goes over the road, and it's tangled up in the high line, and, it gets, and then the kite gets like the octopus is just like stuck in, the, in this tree over this person's house, and it's just wrapped up. And it was, I mean, a fun time was had by all, but we get a lot of wind. And sometimes maybe we're like the guy flying the kite, and, and uh, you know, when it comes to the Spirit of God, sometimes uh, God comes and moves in our life in such a way, and we're trying to control everything, and we just, we lose control. And sometimes we're the kite, and we're like pasted up, and we're all tangled up in a tree, and we're like, what in the world just happened? We have so much wind here um, that... Obviously, we, we, we generate a tremendous amount of wind energy here with our wind turbines. And probably should have, uh, I've been out of pocket, I probably should have, you know, picked Greg Meek or, you know, uh, uh, Nick's uh, uh, brains a little bit about how these wind turbines work, because I, I really don't know uh, much about that. But, um, no, I mean, I know next to nothing, actually probably less than nothing about wind energy. But, but from, from what it seems, I'm going to say a couple things, and then y'all can tell me later if I'm wrong, but... Uh, wind turbines are powered by wind. That's true, right? Okay, good. So wind turbines are powered by wind. They don't generate their own winds, okay? They are powered by wind. A wind turbine, a windmill does not create wind, but it catches wind. It harnesses it. As the body of Christ, we are not called to create our own wind. Our job is not to create or try to come up with and sometimes we spend so much energy trying to just drum up the wind trying to drum up the spirit of god our job is not to create the wind but our job is to is to catch it be captured by it to be to 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 harness it and as the wind turbine moves that's another thing about wind turbines they they, those 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 blades move um the, the energy is created through movement and as as those as those blades spin, as those turbines move, they're moved by the wind's energy. That movement creates electric current. And then that electric current is transferred to substations and from there eventually through a process too complicated for me to understand. Somehow, from the substations, that power winds up in our homes that are connected to the grid and, and light shines in the darkness. And 
you know, I think there's some parallels here that we can see. Wind turbines have a mission. They have a purpose. They have a reason for existing. And they're empowered by the wind to accomplish that purpose. And when they fulfill, when they fulfill their purpose, other people benefit. Light shines in the darkness. We get to charge our cell phones and everybody's happy, right? And so today in Acts 2, we're going to see the Spirit of God, like a mighty rushing wind, sweep through those first Christians, sweep through that early church. And, and, and God's Spirit here in Acts chapter 2 and in other places in the Scriptures compared to this mighty rushing wind. And in Acts, the church is not a building. The church is not an institution. The church is not a place. The church is a people and a people on mission. The church is a movement empowered by God's spirit for God's mission. So, uh, so just thinking about the church and, 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 and wind turbines, you know, we're not called to try to create our own wind. We're called to be moved on by God's wind. But as God's wind moves, he moves us. And he stirs us. And energy is the result of that. And when we fulfill our mission, other people benefit and light shines in the darkness. And people can, 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 can benefit from that. And God gets glorified from that. So in Acts 2, uh, the day of Pentecost comes and the church is formed. The church is formed there as these early believers catch the wind of God's Spirit. Now, Jesus had given them a mission in Acts chapter 1. That mission there in Acts 1, 6 through 8, uh, that he says you're going to receive power when the Spirit of God uh, comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. It's interesting that Jesus gave them mission in Acts chapter 1, but the church isn't even born until Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God is poured out on them. God gave them mission first. And then the church is born. The church, to be the church, is to be sent by God. To be the church is to be on mission. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. God didn't create mission to give the church something to do. God created the church to have a people through whom to accomplish his mission. God didn't say, hmm, these people look a little bored. I wonder if there's something we could tack on at the end of the budget and at the end of the calendar, and if they have any energy left, and we'll call it mission, just so these people have something to do with their spare time. No, God created this mission. And it's the mission that he's had since the beginning of reclaiming and restoring this world. What was it the disciples asked in in Acts 1? Is it that this time you're restoring the kingdom? This mission of God is the mission that he's been about seeking and saving the lost, setting the captives free. That's his mission, and he created the church to fulfill that mission. He didn't create mission to give us something to do. He created the church to fulfill his mission. To be the church is to be a movement empowered by the Spirit of God on mission with God. So the church is a movement initiated by and sustained by the hurricane force of God's Spirit. The church is a movement initiated by and sustained by the hurricane force of God's Spirit. So some backstory on Acts 2. Let's read Acts 2, the first few verses, and then we'll give some backstory. Everybody alive today? We need some, I mean, talking about Pentecost here, so come on. Um, Acts 2, 1. The day, of, the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound. Where did it come from? That's going to be important later. A sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation. And at the sound, the multitude came together. People started flocking to see what's going on here. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Gentile converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. Others mocked and said, these guys are drunk. All right? So backstory on all this. Um, 50 days before Pentecost, there was the day of Passover. And Passover was, uh, was fulfilled. This Jewish uh, feast of Passover was fulfilled by Jesus, the, the Passover lamb, laying down his life um, so that we could be set free. And then Jesus, is, Jesus rises again in this incredible resurrection um, then there's the promise, he promises, he talks to the disciples and, and his, uh, the, the, these, these first believers, he talks to them about the mission that he's, he's got for them to, to, sh- to go into all the world and make disciples and to go be his witnesses. And, and he talks to them about the kingdom of God. And he promises that there's this baptism of the Holy Spirit coming. Or in Luke 24, it's called, he says, wait to be clothed with power from on high. And then he ascends into heaven. And, and they continue to wait, they continue to pray, they continue to seek. And then on this day of Pentecost, which was, was this feast of the Jewish people that we're going to talk about in a minute, this outpouring of the Spirit happens and the church is born. So here in Acts 2, what we just read, that's the Spirit baptism. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was spoken of by John the Baptist and was spoken of by Jesus. And sometimes when we hear that phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit, we imagine... Um, uh, you know, maybe it's been presented in certain ways, or there's all kinds of different ways people, um, people approach this. And some say you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues, or unless this happens, or that happens. Some people say the second you get saved, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then there's no more experiences with the Holy Spirit after that for you. Um, I love the way John Piper describes and defines Holy Spirit baptism. He says, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a believer in Christ Jesus, somebody who's already a believer in Christ Jesus, receives extraordinary power for Christ-exalting ministry. These guys are already believers. They've been believing in Jesus. They've been with Jesus. Jesus has even prayed. uh, He's even breathed on them in John 20 and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But something incredible happens here. They're clothed with power. The Spirit of God comes upon them. The Spirit of God fills them. And they go from being scared men and women locked up in a room, not sure what they're going to do, to proclaiming the mighty works of God. 3,000 people are going to get saved. And we say, well, how, this seems so bizarre. How could this have really happened? And, and uh, you know, if, if we think about the growth of Christianity, we think about the expansion of the church, we think about how this few people started out, and they're scared, and their Lord has been crucified and resurrected and now ascended, and, 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 and they've got Rome against them, they've got the Jewish authorities against them. How did this movement Take the world by storm unless there's something supernatural at the center of all of it. Unless there's something supernatural at the center of all of this, how did this movement take the world by storm? And that's what we're seeing. They, they're transformed as they're baptized, as they're immersed, as they're empowered by the Spirit. 
These early believers received power, extraordinary power, for Christ's exalting ministry. John Stott writes that without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be impossible. There could be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, no effective witness without his power. Stott writes, as a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. Life without breath in it, that's a body without breath in it, that's a corpse. The, the church without the spirit of God is dead. And a dead church isn't just wrong. A dead church is evil. A dead church is a mockery of everything that God has called us to be. What happens to a corpse when it hasn't had breath in it long enough? What does it start to do? It starts to stink, doesn't it? And a dead church puts off an aroma that is not the aroma of Jesus Christ. And so there's some churches that, that, that are, and this is always going to be our temptation, or we're going to struggle with this. Some churches are dead because they put a sign out there and said, hey, Holy Spirit, you're not welcome here. We've got everything figured out. We've got everything the way we want it. That's the, the, or we've never done it that way before. That's the one way to becoming a dead church. Another way to be a dead church is we try to, we try to drum up everything. We're trying to look like something's happening, but it's all us. And regardless of how it looks inside, the Spirit of God is not reigning and ruling there. The church without the Spirit is dead. Apart from Pentecost, this movement would not have taken the world by storm. And so every Christian, whether you're whether Baptist or Presbyterian or a Catholic or whatever, every Christian can call ourselves a Pentecostal because we all came about. We were all born back here at Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out. On these believers. So, what is the day of Pentecost? What does that word even mean? Chapter 2, verse 1 gives the, the when this happened, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Pentecost, again, is a festival or a feast of the Jewish people. And, it's, and Pentecost in the Greek literally means 50th. It's the 50th day after Passover. And um, Pentecost that's, it's, it means that 50th day after, after Passover had an agricultural meaning. And so it's a celebration of the first fruits of the crop. And so people at Pentecost would bring and, and they would offer the first fruits of their, of their crop. And they would, that was a symbol as it was a way of saying, God, everything that I have belongs to you. And, and sometimes today when we talk about giving, when we talk about first fruits, we give of our first, we give of our best as a way to say everything we have is his. But Pentecost also had a, not just an agricultural meaning, but a it had a, a, a historical meaning and a, and a spiritual meaning. Because Passover, obviously, is connected back here in the Exodus story. And at Passover, uh, as that Passover lamb was slain and its blood was put over the doorpost of the home of the homes, the people of Israel, the, the, the angel of God passed over those homes, and then they were delivered. They were delivered from Egypt, delivered from slavery. And Jesus fulfills that passover lamb he is that passover lamb who who gives his life on the cross for us so that we can be delivered from sin and death and addiction and everything that binds us up well 50 days according to jewish uh jewish scholars and jewish thought you know according to the old testament uh, 50 days after after passover came the giving of the law moses ascended and he went up into the cloud on top of the mountain and he met with god and when he came down he brought tablets with him he brought down the law with him so when jesus jesus who is superior to moses jesus who's greater than moses jesus who is not a, not just human but he's human and divine he's god eternally god uh, uh, who's come to us in the flesh jesus dies and rises and he ascends into heaven and then from heaven he sends his spirit he doesn't send rules 
He doesn't send more law to try to keep. He sends his spirit 50 days after Passover. And what did the Old Testament say the spirit of God was going to do? The spirit of God was going to write God's word, God's law on our hearts. And so as Jesus sends the spirit at Pentecost, what the spirit of God does is he does away with this effort of trying to be transformed from the outside in. And instead he says, I'm going to transform y'all because the Spirit says, y'all, I'm sure. He says, I'm going to transform y'all from the inside out. I'm going to empower you to be transformed into the image of God. He writes God's word on our hearts to transform us from the inside out. And so, and so the, the, the creation of the world is a one-time event. The, 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 uh, the cross of Jesus Christ is a one-time event, but it has ongoing consequences. The resurrection of Jesus, one-time event with ongoing consequences. The ascension of Jesus, one-time event with ongoing consequences. Pentecost, one-time event. There's only one birthday of the church. Now, does the Spirit of God still pour out His Spirit? Does He still baptize people? Yes, He does. But this event is the event that it won't be replicated. This is when the church was formed and when God's Spirit came to dwell and from that event, every, uh, the, the church has existed and draws its strength all the way from that day to this. Incredible. So Jesus is our Passover lamb. He sends the Spirit, not just the law. The church is the movement initiated by and sustained by the hurricane force of God's Spirit. So what else is happening? They're all together. That's the who. They're all together in one place. That word together is going to show up in key places throughout the book of Acts. This moment isn't about a bunch of individuals who are just crying out to God on their own. This moment happens as the, as the church of God, this 120 people, this 120 men and women, corporately, together, crying out persistently, pr- crying out for God to move. That kind of corporate, persistent, crying out prayer has preceded every revival, every outpouring of God's Spirit. When God's people get desperate, they cry out to God together. Now think about, um, think about this. Jesus has told them to wait for the promise of the Father. And don't you know that they went back to the room and they're looking at each other and they pray for five or six minutes? And they're, I mean, anybody, they prayed for like seven to ten days, okay? Anybody get like seven minutes in, you're done, you're maybe bored or distracted? They persevered in prayer for days. Well, Okay, nothing happened today, but we're going, to keep, we're going to keep praying, right, guys? Not because they're so dutiful and strong, but because they're desperate. Man, Rome and the Jewish authorities just conspired together to kill Jesus, and now he's ascended into heaven. What's, what's going to happen to us? We have, nothing that, we have nowhere else to turn. We better turn to him. They're desperate. And so their desperation drives them to continue to cry out to God. And as they cry out to God together, they draw strength. You know, you've experienced the power that comes of you're struggling with something, you got something going on, and maybe you, you have a, few, a couple people from your life group or, or, or you have a couple Christian friends that are mature in their faith and you cry out to God together. Isn't there power in that when we cry out to God together? It may not all get fixed or solved, but we've cried out to God together and they've been crying out to God together here. There's something about that and there's something about being in unity together. You know, Mary's not over there talking bad about John, and John's not over there talking bad about James. Can you believe who, look at what Peter did now. Who does he thinks, think he is? They're all together, and they're unified, and they're pulling in the same direction, and that kind of unified, corporate, desperate prayer is what precedes a move of God. And it doesn't happen until we're desperate for it. So then what happens? 
The what? Suddenly, verse 2, there came from heaven a sound like a might. So there's a sound, and it sounds like wind. And that sound uh, speaks of the power of God's Spirit. And then there's a sight. There's these flames of fire that appear over each person's head, which points to the reality that the Holy Spirit desires a personal relationship with each of us, and yet He also binds us together. I'm bound to God by the Spirit of God. I'm also bound to you by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God binds us to God and to each other. And then there's the speech. They speak in tongues. Divided tongues appear and, and this fire rests on each of them. That speaks of the, 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 the sight of this fire, speaks of the purity of God, and just the purifying power of God. And they're filled with the Spirit and they begin to speak in other tongues. That tongues word is, is from the word where we get our word gloss, glossary. It can mean literally tongue or it can mean language or speaking in these other languages, these other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now this isn't just a miracle of hearing. It's not just that people are hearing in their own language. They are hearing in their language. But this is a gift of speaking too because we're told here in verse 4, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And people from all these nations that we read earlier understood, heard the, the, the message of Jesus being proclaimed in their own languages. Now, um, don't have a lot of time, but over in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, there's the gift of tongues, which, ta- which is talked about, which appears to be a heavenly language. It appears to be a prayer language that, that Paul says, he, he doesn't say anything negative against it. He only says, don't pray in tongues in the, in the congregation unless there's somebody there to interpret it. But he says, I pray in tongues more than all of you. He, he doesn't bash the gifting at all. Man, if God calls something a gift, don't bash it. If, if God calls something a gift, we, we want to want that, okay? Um, but what's going on here in Acts 2 isn't like a heavenly language, isn't a prayer language. What's going on here in Acts 2 are, are literal human languages. Because something's being communicated here. The gospel is for everybody. That's what's being communicated here. The gospel is for everybody. What's the point of all this? So some people see this amazing thing happening and, and they say, wow, this is marvelous, this is incredible. Some see it and they mock. And they say, these people are drunk. Why would they think they're drunk just because they're speaking in other languages? Because people can always find a way to mock the things of God. You're either going to be a mocker or a marveler. You're going to either marvel at what God's doing or you're going to mock what's God, what God's doing. You may drive by, we may leave here and we may drive by another gathering of believers and see something amazing happening. And we can either say, wow, God's really doing something over there. Or we can say, huh, yeah, I bet they're just... I bet they're just putting on a show. I bet, they're, I bet they're just selling out the gospel. We can either be a marveler or a mocker. God says something in our midst. We can either marvel at God or we can mock it. And God created you and his spirit wants to do such a work in you that the world has no choice but either marvel or mock. The world, God wants to do such a work in each of us by his spirit that the watching world can only marvel. Wow, God is doing something over there. God's doing something, Nick. God's doing something, Jessica. God's doing something, Adonna. Or mock. Well, but we just find ourselves wanting to be normal most of the time. But God wants to do a work in us of His Spirit that the watching world either has to mock or marvel. So what's the point of all this? What are the people talking, as they're speaking in tongues and all these things we see in verse 11, we're hearing them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. Regardless of what languages they're speaking in, regardless of the tongues, what the tongues are saying 
is they're saying how incredible God is. They're empowered by the Spirit of God to speak in all these different languages and talk about the mighty works of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in you. The Holy Spirit may may speak in other languages through you, may speak in heavenly languages through you, but what the Holy Spirit definitely is going to do, He's going to move in your life to speak the mighty works of God. He's going to make you a witness for Jesus. So so the point of all this, the promise is fulfilled. We read that passage from Joel uh, 2 and Peter's going Peter's to um, quote Joel too in his sermon that we're going to be in next week. He said, this is what was fulfilled. This is fulfills the word of the prophet Joel who said that God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. This is a, the point of this is that God's promise is fulfilled. The spirit of God has sent. The spirit is called the promise of the father. God's kept his promise. He sent his spirit. The point of all this is that the spirit of God empowers us to make a big deal out of Jesus. The point of all this is that human limitations are overcome by the power of God's Spirit. The crowd asks, aren't these Galileans? Why would they ask that? See, Galileans weren't known for being the smartest. Galileans weren't known for being the most cultured people. Galileans weren't known for being the people that would normally study a bunch of different languages. It's kind of like God working through you and somebody saying, isn't that the place that handles snakes? Isn't that sweet water? Isn't that the place with all the wind and the rattlesnakes? Wow. God must be doing something. Is God doing something in that church where all the rattlesnakes are? Wow, is God, aren't you? And, 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 and when, when they're saying, aren't these Galileans, they're saying, wow, this must be God. One commentator said it's kind of like Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty standing up and preaching in, in fluent French. And everybody would be stunned and amazed by something like that. And that's what's happening here. Our human limitations are overcome by the Spirit of God. Something supernatural is happening. Also, what this is saying is that Babel, the curse of Babel is reversed. Back in Genesis 11, remember, we tried to build a stairway to heaven of our own. We tried to exalt ourselves and God confuses our language. And now, instead of us trying to make our way to heaven, heaven has come to us. The Spirit has been poured out on us and these language barriers are overcome by the Spirit of God and every tribe and tongue and nation hears the gospel. The church when led by the Spirit of God, should be the most diverse people on the planet. The church, when led by the Spirit of God, should be the most diverse people on the planet. Racial unity, racial justice is a gospel issue. It's a Holy Spirit issue. If I dislike or look down on somebody because of their race or their ethnicity, the Holy Spirit, I'm not yielded to the Holy Spirit. And the gospel hasn't permeated my heart. This is a gospel issue. The Spirit of God is saying here, that the church should be this diverse community of people. And we've got a long ways to go, folks. The Holy Spirit has a lot of working on us to do. Um, every tribe and tongue and nation gathers around the throne of God. And here in Acts 2, this is a foretaste of heaven. Every language is, is being heard and spoken. See, uh, D.A. Carson, the great scholar, was asked what language will be spoken in heaven. I'm sure most of us would, would assume everybody speaks English in heaven, but I mean, it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? But, uh, but uh, it's a joke. But anyway, uh, he, said, uh, he said every language will be, his theory is that every language will be spoken in heaven. Kind of like in Wonder Woman, where the, the Amazon women, they speak every language, or they speak hundreds of languages. This is a foretaste of heaven. When, can you imagine gathering in the new creation, you understand ancient Greek, you understand Latin, you understand German, you understand Native American languages, and everybody can communicate. This is a foretaste of that. 
This movement is initiated by the Spirit and it's sustained by the Spirit. And so as the band comes, just questions, a couple questions. Um, Have you been empowered by the Spirit of God for Christ-exalting ministry? And if the answer is no, or if the answer is I'm not sure, um, ask, seek, knock. God desires to pour His Spirit out on His people. Now, there may not be all the signs that were accompanied here. Remember, this is the birthday of the church, and it's accompanied by this rushing mighty wind and things that God's certainly able to do, but He's not going to accompany... Everything with those kind of signs because this, man, this is a, this is a, it's an intense event happening here. But God wants to pour His Spirit on you. He wants to, uh, he wants to um, empower you and us for Christ's exalting ministry. So ask, seek, cry out to Him. Connect in community with others who are also crying out for that. Jerry Staff has given us a great opportunity. There's some uh, uh, sign-ups out here in the hall for Hope for Sweetwater Rally that's coming up in June, and you can fast and pray for that. Sign up, fast and pray, cry out to God for the Women's Breaking Chains uh, revival coming up um, in, in uh, May. A um, couple of, of events coming up where, where you have an opportunity to pray and, and seek God, and we can cry out to God together to pour out His Spirit on us and on our community. Think of the, the wind turbine again. It's not generating its own wind. It's catching the wind, uh, the wind that God provides. And as that happens, it moves. And as it moves, energy is created. And as that energy is created, lives are changed. It's God's mission for you. It's God's purpose for you. Another thing about the turbine is it's rooted, isn't it? It's rooted. It's not just fly by night and saying, oh, it's the wind. It's rooted. And it's grounded. And that enables it to create such incredible energy. So the most important thing the Spirit of God does in our lives is He draws us to Jesus. You have an opportunity to sell out to Him. Cry out to the Spirit to do in you what only He can do. Let's stand together.